NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. This is actually our third take of trying to start this week's podcast uh, due to some technical issues and uh, oral issues. Oh, that sounds horrible. Uh, verbal. All right, let's let's do take four. <laughs> no, we're sticking with this one. Uh, technical difficulties. Then uh, the first one was I don't know how you'd explain it. Ver- verbal difficulties. Vo- verbal difficulties. So here we are, take three. We're getting it right this time. We're not editing out the fact that I said oral difficulties. And uh, and we're just rolling. This is Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Rochero, and I'm joined remotely by fellow co-host Joe Wolfond. We got to just dispense with the pleasantries at this point, man. We yeah. can't do this for a third time and pretend we haven't had this conversation already. So why don't we just dive right in? All right, this week's episode is going to be all about the East playing race, if you want to call it a race. I mean, the Wizards are hot, so I guess they're kind of making it a race now. Uh, It was more of a tortoise-paced crawl to 30 wins. I wrote about this race last week and mentioned that maybe it'll be a race to 31 or 32 wins if one of these teams catches their own mediocre version of a heater. Well, the Wizards actually have caught a heater. And so I do think it's going to take 31 or 32 wins now to get into the play in the East. They've caught their biggest heater in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that Wizards are going to finish ahead of the Pacers prediction isn't looking so crazy now, is it, Wolfond? I mean, can we acknowledge that there have been some mitigating circumstances here? The Pacers, like, entire starting lineup is decimated right now how do you know i didn't account for that when foresee that uh in my clairvoyant ways that the pacers would no that's that's awful i did not foresee that um i was half trying to troll you when i made that prediction and also half believed it just because i thought the wizards had a decent floor with no ceiling and i think we're seeing that right now okay let's let's get into it the the three main teams i think we're going to talk about are the wizards bulls and raptors but if you look at the standings it doesn't really make sense to completely write off talking about the Hornets and Pacers as teams that, you know, could even fall out of the plan. So the Hornets and Pacers in the loss column are two games clear of Washington in 10th, but and four clear of Chicago and Toronto, who aren't even in the playing spot right now. Both teams are banged up um, and vulnerable to slide. Although the Pacers more so because the Hornets should be getting healthier soon. Then again, if we're going to look at the standings, we could also point out the fact that both teams are as close to Boston and Miami as they are to Washington. And they're as close to fifth place Atlanta as they are to Chicago and Toronto. So I don't know, maybe they're not prone to slide right out of it. Mentioned the Hornets at least seem like they'll get healthier soon. LaMelo has been cleared for basketball activities after the wrist surgery that kept him out a couple months, I want to say. But Gordon Hayward who sprained his foot and was ruled out at least four weeks on April 3rd means that the earliest he can come back is this weekend, but you've got to figure he should be back sometime soon. So um, it seems like the Hornets are in better shape than the Pacers from a health perspective. They're already a half game ahead of Indiana. They've defied the odds all season. Uh, James Brago is doing a hell of a job. Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Devontae Graham are all pulling the weight right now. Like Jalen McDaniels is giving them good minutes. I think they'll stay top 10, but I don't know. Do you, do you see the Hornets as potentially falling out? I think if one of those teams is going to fall out, I think the Pacers are more vulnerable. I, I think it's quite likely that both of those teams will stay in the top 10, but I also think it's, I mean, I don't know if it's likely, but it's definitely very possible that either one of those teams could slide down to 10th. 
which is a big deal, right? Like, you know, we talked when we, when we did this for the Western Conference about how important that eighth seed is going to be uh, as far as getting two cracks at getting into the playoffs proper. And also, you know, if they lose that first game, having home court advantage in the second one, which is win or go home, a huge difference between being eighth and ninth. And frankly, like a pretty big difference, I guess, between being ninth and 10th as well, right? Because if you're 10th, I mean, I guess there's not that big a difference between being ninth and 10th. Because you you, you know, 10th, you're going to open on the road. I mean, I don't know how much that matters this year, but if that's the only difference. difference. Yeah. So much bigger difference between eighth and ninth than there is between ninth and 10th. And I think given the injury situation with both the, the Hornets and the Pacers, I don't know what, what is Hayward's timeline? Like do you, like I said, he, he on April 3rd, they said he would, uh, he was going to be out, I believe at least four weeks, which okay. puts him at May 1st, the earliest he come back. That's this weekend. That's what I was saying. Even if you give or take a few days here and there, it seems like he should be back within the next week, maybe. But then I don't know. I mean, maybe the weekend comes and they say, well, he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. And at that point, like the season's over. Right. And the, those timelines, when it comes to just like, he'll be reevaluated in X amount of time can kind of mean any number of things right. too, right? So I think the the more important thing is, you know, again, I don't think that either of those teams are going to slide out of it. But I think, you know, the difference between them being in position to grab eighth versus potentially sliding all the way down to ninth, 10th is significant. And the wizards right now, like I think they've all got about equivalent remaining schedules, but the wizards are the team that's way healthier and clicking and, and playing really good basketball. So I think we might have to consider them the favorite to actually get that eighth seed. Um, and, you know, from there, like, it's very much going to depend, right? Because if they, like, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to win that first game against whoever the seven seed winds up being. It's either going to be Miami, Boston, or maybe Atlanta, right? But then they get that second game at home. Like, if Indiana's fully healthy, then... There's, uh, you know, a conversation to be had, I guess, or, or if Charlotte's fully healthy too. Like there's certainly no guarantee that that is going to provide them that last playoff spot, but that's, you know, whoever gets that eighth seed is going to be in pole position, obviously. And, uh, and I think the Wizards have a good shot at nabbing it given the way they're playing. All right. So let's, let's talk about the Wizards and let's really start here. They're, as you mentioned, they're in the driver's seat. I mean, definitely for the 10 seed, for the play-in, but maybe even for the 8 seed and for only needing to win one play-in game as opposed to two, uh, if you go by remaining schedule, I believe theirs is actually the easiest of the teams we're talking about by opposing winning percentage. Uh, but seven of the 10 are on the road and they do have a five-game road trip, uh, which takes place in the span of eight nights. There's also a stretch where they play the Pacers and the Raptors, that combination of teams, three times in six nights as part of a four games in six nights um, stretch. And the other game in that stretch is Milwaukee. So while the overall win- opposing winning percentage for the Wizards isn't great when you actually look at their schedule, like it's a, it's pretty brutal. It's a bit of a grind. And uh, I think they'll be tested, but... As we're saying, they are in the driver's seat for a number of reasons. Uh, They're the team to watch right now. Uh, If you had told me at the beginning of the season that that would be the case with a couple weeks to go, you know, and and that Bradley Beal would be averaging, what, 30, 31 points per game in the running for the scoring title, 
I would say, well, yeah, it sounds like they are a team to watch. And I wouldn't really have considered how much Russell Westbrook was the reason they're the team to watch. But look, while Bradley Beal is still probably their best player, and, and you know, I, I mentioned he's in the running for a scoring title, he's averaging more than 30 points per game. The story of Washington's midseason turnaround is a story of Russell Westbrook. This is the second year in a row where he has gone from looking completely, completely washed in like the first month or two of the season to then looking like, honestly, maybe like an all-NBA level talent again. And I should take the word maybe out there because he's been pretty friggin' ridiculous for the last couple months. Last 36 games, Russell Westbrook is averaging 23.2 points for 12.1 rebounds, which would be fourth in the league, a league-leading 11.8 assists, 1.6 steals, which would be tied for seventh in the league, on a still not great true shooting percentage of 51.6. The shooting's obviously not ideal. Still turning it over five times per game during that stretch. But look, the Wizards are getting the full Westbrook experience, and it's kind of working for them. I mean, I've said it multiple times during this stretch. Like, you want the full Westbrook experience? He has shot the Wizards out of games that they are only in to begin with because of Russell Westbrook. It's hilarious, but it's also really fun to watch. And I'm, I'm curious as to what your observations of Russ have been, because uh, we can even get into the fact that unlike last year, when, you know, the Rockets went small, the paint wasn't as clogged, Westbrook's shot selection in and of itself improved. He limited the amount of long jumpers and threes. We say his drives went up. If you look at like a lot of the advanced numbers this year, He's not doing those, like his drives are barely up if you compare it to early in the season. His efficiency has gone from historically awful to just below average, but it's still Mm -hmm. below average. His shot selection isn't much better. As I mentioned, he's still turning the ball over a lot. Like the indicators aren't there like they were last year where you can point and be like, well, look, he's playing smarter. He's doing this different. He's kind of being the same guy right now this year. It's just working out better for him. Well, I I think... You know, if you want to go back to you describing the Westbrook experience and what that really is and what it entails, I think maybe a kind of more accurate summation would be to say the Westbrook experience is you're going to struggle in the half court, but Russell Westbrook is going to do his damnedest to keep you out of the half court and keep you from having to face set defenses. And I think the big difference and the thing that he has done so well during this stretch is just getting them out on the break. Like, he's done such a good job getting them into early offense. And, you know, like, I think he has been better as far as just his decision-making in the half court. Like, he shot it okay from mid-range, and he's not dithering with the ball as much. But the key to me has just been, like, he's been an absolute monster on the break. And especially as a playmaker on the break. Like, we know that he can be effective as a scorer in transition, but he's been diming guys up and just sort of spoon feeding them looks streaking towards the basket. And, you know, the wizards are first in the NBA in pace, right? Like that's, that's part of the Westbrook experience is like the rockets went from being one of the slowest teams in the league to being either the fastest or the second fastest team when he came over last year. Like that's what he does. He's going to speed you up. If we're looking ahead to the playoffs, I think the half court concerns are going to crop up again. You know, they, that's what happened last year. You mentioned how this was second year in a row where he went from looking totally washed to like a borderline all nba but also how did last year finish, right? And like, is this going to be the second year in a row where he goes from looking totally washed 
to being a borderline all NBA or to looking totally washed in the playoffs again, because there are just fewer opportunities to get out and run. It's that's a possibility. And the fact that the wizards don't have the same kind of floor spacing that the rockets do um, makes things, I think even more difficult. So We'll see how it plays out. I mean, all, all respect to him in the way that he's played lately. And and he has absolutely been the engine of that team. And I do think the pace they've played with has been a huge part of the success that they've had. So it's been fun to watch. And I, I've been really happy, I think, to see him turn his season around. But as far as like Westbrook being back back, like I think maybe we should pump the brakes a bit because we did sort of see this movie last year and and like i remember how it ended i think i mean it's a good point because you we've even seen it this year like i mentioned him shooting out shooting the wizards out of games that they were only in to begin with because of how well he played a lot of that was because you know it would end up in as like a, a crunch time game or a clutch minutes game and there were fewer opportunities to run and against set defenses when it became more of a half court game, he took some really bad shots to shoot the Wizards out of those games. And so I think it's very possible if they do get to the playoffs, we will see that again, even in the play-in games when I'm sure uh, it will be much more of a half court game. But the counter to that would be how much of what happened in the playoffs last year was a stylistic issue for Westbrook and how much of it was just the nightmare scenario in which his season was interrupted, right? For like... It gets interrupted when he's playing some of the best ball he's played in years. He gets COVID. Then he had the hamstring issue in the playoffs. I, again, I agree that some of it is stylistic, but I think some of it also was that he was not, even health-wise, like physically, he was not the guy he was five months earlier when he was playing the best ball he had played in years. And then even this year, like the first 20, 21 games, he missed seven or eight games. I can't remember what... Uh, what issue he had early this year. I think it was a quad. Yeah. So another leg issue and he didn't look like himself. And then as he got healthy, now we're seeing this again. So I don't know. I'm confused because it's like, you know, he starts off terribly last year, hits his rhythm and looks unbelievable. Then he gets banged up, deals with COVID, looks awful in the playoffs. Then he's banged up to start this year, looks awful, catches his health and his rhythm again and looks unbelievable. And it's like, you know, is he still this unbelievable player that we're watching right now? when he's healthy and everything's rolling and, and is the crap that we've seen from him in the last, the, from in the bits of the last two seasons, just completely like health and, and luck related. I don't know. It's, it's hard to kind of find a middle ground. Maybe it's a little column A, a little column B. That's what I think it is. I think it's both. I think you have to accept the fact that like Westbrook at his best can be a hugely productive player, but you're not always going to get Westbrook at his best, whether because of just basic in, inconsistency or, because his health has been a little bit spotty the last couple of years. And like, you have to bake that into what to expect from him at this point. So, you know, you, you take the good with the bad and you appreciate the good. And obviously there's been a lot of good lately and that's going to help propel the wizards to the play in and maybe the playoffs proper. And that's what they got him for. So, you know, to me, I think he, he's delivered on their expectations and, and the wizards as a whole Look, they were the first team to really get hammered by COVID, right? Like early in the season, I think they started three and eight, then essentially missed two weeks worth of games as they dealt with the outbreak and then came back and everyone was still, you know, shaking off the illness or shaking off the rust. And they went three and nine after that. And they were sitting there at six and 17, looking like their season might have been over. And even, you know, obviously like they're, they're, 
there were some rough patches after that. Like they wound up at 17 and 32 at one point and have only gotten it back on track with this 11 and two stretch since then. But like 39 games since that six and 17 start, they're 22 and 17, you know, like they've been a solidly good team for more than half the season. And, you know, the surprising thing to me is their defense is ahead of their offense right now, which is certainly not something that we would have expected coming into the year. And I would say, like, while that is a credit to how much they've improved at the defensive end as the season's gone on, it is partly an indictment of their offense, which I think is 23rd in the league right now. And that's sort of where it gets into, like, okay, yeah, Westbrook is playing this fantastic basketball, Beal's having an unbelievable season, and yet they're still in the bottom 10 in offensive efficiency. Um, The big thing to me there is their 29th and three-point attempt rate. And you look up and down the roster and it's like, okay, obviously Russ is not a three-point shooter. Um, Beal, you might think of as one. And like, he he certainly isn't shy about letting it fly from deep. But um, for a lead guard with his usage, he actually doesn't shoot very many threes. Like he's doing most of his work from the mid-range and all power to him. His mid-range has been damn near automatic this season. But he's just not giving them a ton of three-point volume for the number of possessions he's using. Rui Hachimura, he's doing the vast majority of his work inside the arc. None of their centers shoot threes. It's really just Bertans who's giving them that volume shooting from three. And he's just so one-dimensional, right? Like, he he's a bad defender. And it's like if he's not hitting his shots his spacing is really important. Like they've actually been at their best with him on the floor this season and him turning his season around after he was super rusty early in the year. I can't remember if he had COVID or not, if he was one of the guys who caught it, but like coming back from that break, he was awful and he's gotten back on track and and like just his gravity has like made them a better team, even when he's not shooting it well, but like when he's not hitting his shots, he's also not giving them very much. So, so the offense is sort of a concern to me and, yeah, the defense has gotten better and that's been great. Obviously, the rim protection has vastly improved. They get Daniel Gafford, who's been a revelation. Um, Robin Lopez has been solid as a rim protector. Alex Len has been a kind of stabilizer in the middle. And as much as losing Thomas Bryant definitely hurt them at the offensive end, like he was one of the worst rim protecting centers in the league. Like that's just a fact. And I, I think their defensive improvement has something to do with them replacing his minutes with centers who can actually functionally protect the paint gafford has been solid he's been good he's played for them yeah um so yeah i mean like shout out garrison matthews who made my uh all nobody team early in this season if someone had told you coming into the year someone named garrison matthews would be you know relied upon to help the wizard shooting i think we'd be like well that sounds like a disaster but no it's uh it's I mean, he's not getting a ton of minutes for them, but he gets enough. Like he's a legitimate rotation player for them. And his three-point shooting is actually needed on this team. Yeah, Howell Neto has also been kind of like a sneaky big part of their success. And they're starting those three guards together now and actually outscoring teams by like six and a half points per hundred with all three of those guys on the floor together. And defensively, it's not been a train wreck at all. Like Neto's actually been a really solid, pesky defender at the point of attack, fighting through screens. So that's been a part of it. Uh, they, they lost Denny Avdia, obviously, for the season, which is, you know, disappointing from a, a development perspective. But 
I don't know. Is that really like hurting them this season in the grand scheme of things? I feel like probably not. Um, I, I don't think just by sort of like giving those minutes to other guys like Aguirre and Matthews and like more more minutes and usage to Rui, who I think has had an encouraging season in a kind of subtle way. I don't think that's that's a huge deal when just looking sort of uh, at the small picture, which is this, this season alone. I do wonder though, like how, I mean, look, Wizards fans have been dealing with incompetence and irrelevance for a long time. I'm sure they welcome this team just being fun and, and playing for something. And that's fine. I get that good for them, but I do wonder like how much can really be taken out of this. If you're looking for any hope for the future for this team, like we're talking about, Howell Neto and Garrison Matthews and even like Robin Lopez and Alex Len, you know, being solid contributors for this team. Uh, Westbrook, who knows what his future has in store, uh, how much he's got left in the tank after this. Like, I, I don't know, other than maybe talking yourself into the idea that playing meaningful games down the stretch can't hurt in, in the pitch to want to keep Bradley Beal long-term like that. That's the only thing I can think of that would spin this as like a true positive. But other than that, it's hard for me to like watch this team and think there there's like promise for the future, you know? And I think that's where the downer kind of comes from. Cause it's like, yeah, they're playing well and they're, they're on this heater and they're in the mix, but it's like, ugh. For this team specifically, what does it really mean? There are teams that are in the play and mix where you can point to some youngsters doing things and and can project it out forward and be like, okay, this means something. But for the Wizards, it's hard for me to find that long-term meaning. And I realize not everything has to have long-term meaning. You can just enjoy some things as they are. And I, and I guess what I'm saying is for the Wizards, that's what they have to do because there's not much long-term meaning in this stretch. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think, you know, the guys that you mentioned, like the, the roster is stocked with veterans, right? It's not really a team that is designed to like build on this success and keep getting better moving forward it's kind of a team that's designed to like scrape into the playoff picture this year and then just sort of like figure it out moving forward and try and stay in that band where it's like maybe you catch a run of good health and like hot shooting and you can shoot all the way up to like you know the five seed next season in like a best case scenario like that's that's what they're designed to do. It's not a situation where like as encouraging as this stretch has been, you're not projecting this forward and thinking like, oh, wow, the possibilities are limitless for what this team could be. You know, it's developmentally speaking, like I think Avdia had a nice season and, you know, like Gafford could be a piece for them. Absolutely. But how much is that really raising their ceiling? You know, is it raising it to the point that like, I mean, we're just going to do all this over again with Beal next season, right? Like, he's going to be on an expiring deal. There will be talks about him signing an extension again, I suppose, and that will be weighed against his desire to potentially explore free agency and go elsewhere, and the Wizards will have to think about trading him. All those rumors will burble up again, and he and his agent will either have to ignore them or, or publicly shoot them down. I don't see any of that really changing. And and I think this run has been so nice in part because it's very possible that it's like a last hurrah for Beal in Washington. And that's completely up to him. And maybe he really just doesn't want to leave no matter what happens with that team. But that's sort of the way that it feels to me right now. With Beal in the lineup this season, 
they're a 500 team. They're 26 and 26. And even that, it's like, I don't know what to make of it. Like, I don't know whether to look at that and be like, hey, when they're healthy, they're average. Like, they're they're not bad. But again, I that almost just like goes to what we're saying where it's like what if that if that's what we're if that's what we're holding up as like hey here's the evidence that this team actually isn't bad when they're healthy it's like i don't know if 500 is is the evidence you want to cling to you know when you are a team reliant on veterans as you said that like oh what's the ceiling if every single possible thing goes right a 560 like it's uh it's tough and and like i said i don't i don't really know what to tell wizards fans because on one hand they might like you know, they, they just enjoy this. But on the other hand, it's like, ugh. Yeah, the other thing is like that eight-game winning streak. And again, I don't want to poo-poo it because I do think they've played well and they've played some really exciting basketball. But um, so so their one impressive win was against the Jazz and they swept the Jazz this season, which um, Utah is 0-5 against Washington and Minnesota this season and 45-12 and against everyone else. <laughs> We're gonna have to hope they don't run into the Wizards in the finals. Yeah, um, but like the other wins are against the Kings, Pelicans, Pistons, Thunder, Warriors, Thunder again, Cavs, and then they had a nice win against the Lakers last night. Obviously, no LeBron, but AD was playing, and and the Wizards just straight up took that one and absolutely destroyed the Lakers in transition. It was again just one of those games where Westbrook was completely unstoppable on the break and it's really fun to watch but it's not like they've beaten a murderer's row like they've taken care of business and kudos but uh as far as like big picture optimistic takeaways here it's it's all still like a little bit muted to me you know like yeah obviously i think they'll get into the play and i do think they have a pretty good shot to get to eight but uh, you know beyond that i just don't know all right let's talk bulls I'm so down on this team. <laughs> Look, they I, they were in a weird spot. Um, on one hand, you know, they had a, a budding star in Zach Levine entering his prime and he was surrounded by young talent. And, you know, you could look at it as like, if the team slid back into the lottery, it's fine. They could consider it a roundabout route to continue building for the future. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. On the other hand, I also understood the argument that you know, that budding star, Levine, is just over a year away from unrestricted free agency and has never played in a postseason game in his seven-year career. And so, you know, he could be considered a 2022 flight risk if Chicago doesn't get its act together and you want to convince him that, you know, you're you're trying to win here. You're not just waiting for like four years down the line. The Bulls clearly went with the latter uh, line of thinking instead of the former. And I think they grossly overestimated how close they were to competing for something of substance in the short term, uh, because that's really the only way to explain a young losing team trading two first rounders, including this year's first rounder. And it's only top four protected again in a year where they are clearly a losing team trading two first rounders and Wendell Carter Jr. And the expired contract of Otto Porter for Nikola Vucevic. I mean, look, they've got they got Vooch for two years after this one. So I don't think it's the end of the world. Like, I don't think they made that trade only with this season in mind. I do think when they made that trade, they didn't anticipate giving up a lottery pick this year. 
but that's you know exactly what they're going to be doing unless they get some love from the lottery gods and their pick winds up in the top four like i kind of think basically the bulls and the raptors have the two hardest remaining schedules in the eastern conference so it's really going to be tough for them to make up ground to get into the play-in mix you know the one possibility there is if some of those good teams that they play down the stretch just don't have anything to play for whereas like the Wizards schedule that you mentioned that isn't necessarily against top flight competition is going to be coming against a lot of teams that do have stuff to play for and that could maybe balance things out but I think at this point the Bulls are looking toward next season and that means again if they don't wind up in the top four they're giving up their lottery pick and that does make the trade for Vooch look worse like that's just a fact um and I think you know there were some concerns even when Levine was playing before he he went into the health and safety protocols like I think the the defensive struggles we expected but honestly the offense with Levine and Vooch on the floor was super disappointing and I think that's the kind of thing that it will probably just like sort itself out with more reps. Like they get an off season together and I think it'll look good next year because practically speaking, I don't really see a reason why they can't fit incredibly well together. Like they should complement each other. Offensively. Um, Yeah. Like, and most of the stuff I think was just like their timing was a little bit off. Levine was getting off the ball a little bit too early. If if we're looking at maybe a more pessimistic view, like part of the issue with the Bulls offense this season is that like they don't really get to the free throw line at all and they don't put a ton of pressure on the rim. And Vooch, for all his extraordinary offensive skills, is like a really low free throw center and one who, when he's playing in the pick and roll, much prefers to sort of stop and pop on the short roll and like take those mid range jumpers. And even when he's in the post, it's more about like getting to that turnaround jumper or like the baby hook than it is like putting a guy in the basket uh, or initiating contact. And as sort of frustrating as Carter was for them at times, and as much of an upgrade as Vucevic is overall, uh, I think on a per possession basis, Carter had their highest free throw rate and he was he was one of the few guys they had that was actually, was getting to the line and putting pressure on the rim. And I think maybe it was like an underplayed element losing that. But I think bottom line, like I just don't see a reason why it can't work with those two guys offensively. Again, like defensively, it's going to continue to be a question mark. And for now, I don't know, man, the bulls have played some funky lineups too. They're like throwing out marking in at the three in lineups with Tice and Vucevic. Yeah. Um, they're they're just like kind of all over the they map. They did that against the Heat the other night. Yeah, and it's like, I, they, I watched them do it against the Raptors too, and it was like weirdly successful because like, the Raptors were just completely decimated at that time and couldn't do much against it. But um, I don't know if that's a good long-term strategy. And I don't know where Markinen fits into all this long-term period. Uh, or Kobe White for that matter. Like there's just a lot of pieces on this Bulls team where I'm like, I don't know, like, where do you fit in exactly? How do you complement a Vucevic Levine nucleus, you know, in a way that's not going to be super flammable at the defensive end. And um, 
that that to me is going to make their offseason super interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, Levine's going to be going into a contract year. I think it's well established at this point that he's not going to be willing to sign an extension with them. So uh, the, the pressure is really going to be on them next year, I think, to, to obviously improve upon this year's result. And I definitely think they're capable of that, given the offensive firepower that they have. But they've got some stuff to figure out for sure. Yeah, my concern is, okay, they, um, unless they want to waive the non-guaranteed contracts of Thaddeus Young and Thomas Sadoransky or just completely renounce Larry Markkinen in addition to waiving those non-guaranteed contracts, they're not going to be a cap space team this year and they're not going to have enough cap space to do anything in free agency. They can't trade another first-rounder until 2025. With Carter and those first-rounders gone, I mean, there's still some young talent there. Teams would definitely be interested in a Colby White, even a Markkinen if, if a sign and tra- like. There's some talent there to trade, but they have like really, really decimated their asset capital from a trade perspective. So they can't get much better going the trade route. They're not going to be a free agency team this year, a major one anyway. Even if Levine and Vucevic figure it out on the offensive end, like there's still some major defensive question marks there. I think in the 245 minutes they played together, they were like a minus 12 or a minus 12.5 per one. Like they were awful. And I know some of that was just early stuff, timing stuff. They get used to it, but like yeah. they were awful. And but it was all honest, at the offensive end. That was the thing that, that like yeah. made no sense to me because like the defense wasn't great, but it wasn't like epically bad. It right. was more that like they were barely clearing a point per possession on offense, which just didn't make any sense. Yeah. And to be honest, like Vooch has been great for them it's, it's during the time Levine's been out. Uh in general for the Bulls, he's been great, but especially since Levine's uh been out with due to health and safety protocols, Vooch has kept them in games and won some games for them. So he's been good. But yeah, that, that that's my concern now is that like, okay, you've kind of sold out in a way to assemble like the least threatening all-star duo in recent memory. You know, like I like those guys individually. Vooch is a tremendously skilled big man. You know, individually, they're both brilliant, but if they're your two best players, we talked about this right after the trade deadline. You know, we, we didn't really understand what kind of ceiling they were capping themselves with here. And it's one thing if, you know, you sign a guy like Vucevic or you maybe buy low on him and you're kind of able to improve your team while still having a future outlook. But when you just look at what they gave up for and the limited avenues to improvement this summer i just don't like i don't get where this team's going it feels like they've now trapped themselves into being a win now team except without the talent necessary to really do that and without the assets necessary to improve to the point where they can do that i mean yeah i don't, I don't really have too much to add to that like I, i'm i'm excited to see what they look like next season and how they can try and sort this out both from a front office level uh with Carson Ovis and, and on a coaching level with Billy Donovan like there are a lot of I think decisions to be made that's gonna determine the direction of this team next year and into the future and I don't know what it looks like and I don't know how they figure it out I think you like they have the pieces in place to be good like can they be great like can they be a home court advantage team that I'm a lot more skeptical about, but you know, you're starting from a place where, yeah, you can go ahead and say like, this is the least threatening all-star duo you're ever going to find. And maybe that's true, but it's an all-star duo nonetheless. And there are a lot of teams around the league that would kill to have that. So they, they shouldn't be as bad as they've been this season moving forward. 
I think as far as sort of moving some of the pieces uh, around the margins and uh, maybe just figuring out a style of play, I guess, that's going to be conducive to their two stars and surrounding them, I think, with like a really airtight defensive infrastructure. Like that's going to be the most important thing. And and I think Thad Young is going to be a big part of that. Like he's continued to be great this season. And so, you know, to your point about them being a cap space team and what that would require, I definitely don't see them getting rid of Thad Young in an effort no. to do that because he, he's been their third best player this season. So um, I think he's back and is going to be an important piece. And, uh, you know, with the younger guys, like I think you and I are both big Pat Williams fans. Yeah. Like love is two way upside. Um, there, there's a lot to like with him as far as like the defensive potential, the flashes of off the dribble juice at the offensive end and like his ability to shoot off of the bounce. So like you're already kind of starting there, like between Thad and Pat Williams, Sadoransky, like there, there are pieces in place that you could use, I think, to build out a competent defense or as competent as it, as it can be around those two guys. And and I think Vooch has shown in the past, like, look, he's not, he doesn't really get off the ground. He's not a great rim protector. He moves, you know, okay in space. But if you put guys around him who can sort of pinch and help and recover, like he can hold his own as a, as yeah. a center in a drop scheme, right? And you know he's, he's going to... Cl- He's not hopeless, right? Like, no. and he can clean the defensive glass too, right? Like, you're you're going to be a solid defensive rebounding team, and and ending possessions that way is not going to be an issue. And I think generally, like, he'll do his job. He's positionally sound. He knows where to be. He can be enough of a deterrent, I think, to the point that you're not going to absolutely get shredded if you have guys on the perimeter who can make his life a little bit easier. Okay, in terms of this season, I mean, I think we're both in agreement. They're finishing behind the Wizards. <laughs> I think so. I mean, just looking at, like, I, I don't even know when Levine's coming out of health and safety protocols. No one does. I mean, it's kind of indefinite. It's open-ended, right? Yeah. Um, so between that and their schedule down the stretch, it's really hard for me to see them catching yeah. the Wizards or any of the teams ahead of the Wizards. So um, I, I think it's done for them. Which, look, I mean, again, I know it's not all about this year, but that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for a team that just gave up a very lightly protected pick in you know what's considered a pretty good and deep draft all right we'll take the break we'll come back and we will talk about the lone team remaining the raptors what's up pound the rock listeners just a friendly reminder to rate review and subscribe to the show on itunes soundcloud stitcher spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts you can also check out the scores fantasy football podcast with justin boone and in case you haven't already download the score app available on iphone and android That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, before we continue, I do want to add to our usual break read that you just heard there, that if you're listening and you're a fan of what we do at The Score in general, not just Pound the Rock, go vote for The Score at the Webby Awards. Our app is nominated in the Apps and Software Sports category. And the score's awesome Instagram page is nominated in the social sports category. So uh, in addition to following all the instructions I provide in our break read, I'm also asking you to vote for the score in the Webby Awards. All right, back to ball talk, Wolfon. The Raptors. 
We're both sitting here in Toronto. We've we've watched what has been uh, an absolute season from hell unfold for this displaced team that was also battered by injuries and COVID. You know, when I wrote that piece last week about this play-in race and and mentioned that it was kind of like an embarrassing and sad race, I used the Raptors as the Raptors still being in it as the perfect example of why I thought this race was so embarrassing. So, okay, the Raptors fell out of the top 10 on March 14th. And after they fell out of the top 10, they proceeded to lose 12 of their next 17 games. So they fell to 11th place. They then went 5-12. and 12. You know what place they were after those 17 games? Yeah, same place. Yeah, they were still 11th. They had dropped one game in the overall, sta- sorry, one spot in the overall standings. So they go 5-12. and 12. They don't move down at all in the standings. They also don't lose ground in the race at all. It's not like they just stayed 11th, but, you know, had fallen back of 10th by a mile. They were a game out of 10th when they started that 17-game stretch over a period of about 33 days. And at the end of those 32, 33 days and going 5-12, and 12, they were still in 11th and still a game or a half game back of 10th. And then they won to go 6-12 and 12 over an 18-game stretch, and they vaulted temporarily back into 10th. So they won a third of their games over an 18-game, 35-day stretch without a single consequence in the standings. You know, again, I guess from the perspective of the NBA just wanted more teams in the race late in the season. They wanted less incentive for tanking. They wanted more meaningful games on the calendar late in the season. Obviously, this is working. The play in the two teams making the play in the top 10 making it is working. But man, I don't know. It's just when I look at what's happened to this Raptors team and look at the fact that they're still in the race. This is a team that the NBA literally fined a couple of weeks ago because they were resting players to the point that they violated the rest and injury reporting rules. Clearly, they were trying to tank, okay? Look at the lineup they threw out there against Oklahoma City a week and a half ago. They Their crunch time lineup in that game, their closing lineup was, I believe, Freddie Gillespie, rookie Malachi Flynn, and I want to say Utah Watanabe, and I can't remember who else, basically supporting Chris Boucher, who was the star of that game. They won that game because the Thunder, shamelessly tanking, of course, somehow managed to put a worse quintet out there. And no disrespect to the Raptors I mentioned. All those guys have been very good recently. They could be really solid role players. Flynn, maybe even more than that. But if that's your crunch time lineup in an NBA game, in the same week you've been fined for violating the rest and injury reporting rules, and you've lost 12 of 17 without moving in the standings, and like you're still in the race, That's not, I'm not saying it's anything disrespectful to Raptors. I'm just saying it's disrespectful to this race, that you're calling this a race, that this is one of the teams still in it. And that's what I meant last week when I said that this play-in race in the East is kind of embarrassing and sad because you've got a team that at some point had decided they didn't even want to be in this race anymore. And the NBA actually took action against them because of it. And yet here they are just kind of hanging around because of the gross ineptitude of all the teams around them that essentially wouldn't uh, let them do what they wanted to do. And that was slide in the standings. Yeah, that's just this system working exactly as intended, right? Like the NBA doesn't want teams shamelessly tanking. And it's like, oh, you thought you were tanking Raptors? Well, guess what? You're still in the race. So might as well start playing your good players again and trying to get in because there are plenty other teams that are going to be able to out-tank you if you want to play that game. But... Okay, so here's what I think. Don't you think it devalues like the regular season as a whole and and kind of every game in it if 
I mean, this is a 72-game season. But say, like, if after 72 games, 67% of the league is, you know, is going to get a chance to make the playoffs, if a team that's gone through what the Raptors have gone through, that, like I said, like didn't even really want to be in this race anymore, they lost 12, like, I get that it, yes, it's good in the sense that every team is still in it, but is, doesn't it also devalue the regular season if you can essentially say, like, ah, you can... You could go like a month and a quarter winning one game. You can lose 12 of 17 when you're already in 11th place. You can start punting on the year. And it like it doesn't matter. At the end of the year, you, you'll have a chance to get in if you just get hot in the last like three weeks of the season. Like I don't know. I, I get what the NBA is doing from you know the perspective of wanting more meaningful games later. But I also think that this devalues the regular season as a whole. I don't think it does because none of these teams that are going to wind up in the play-in mix are going to do anything in the playoffs. Like they're going to go up against a number one seed. They're inevitably going to go up against a number one because the only teams that can actually get the seven seed are the, the teams that finish seven and eight. So the teams that finish outside the top eight and would typically just be eliminated can only get as high as the eighth seed in a best case scenario, which means they're going to play the one, which means they're going to lose in five games tops. So does that devalue the regular season if like that's your reward for languishing throughout the year and winding up in a situation where you have to win two do or die games just to get in? Then you get to see the one seed and be summarily dispatched. Like, I don't think it really devalues the regular season because like you've put yourself in a position where like your best case scenario is just losing very quickly in the first round. All it really does is it like adds a little extra excitement where there wouldn't otherwise be because who really cares like who gets the eighth seed in a typical year. I think it just adds a little bit of almost artificial excitement where it's like we'll get these games and the fact that they're do or die like win or go home will create this sort of atmosphere of tension and excitement that like for a moment we'll forget that the stakes here are actually quite low. And I'm thinking back to like the Blazers Grizzlies play in last year, which was awesome. It was a great game and it was full of tension and stakes. And while you're watching it, like both teams are playing so hard, they're going all out. And it really makes you forget that like what they're playing for is the right to get bounced by the Lakers in the first round. Like that's just what it is. You know, to me, I think I I can kind of understand the rationale behind it from that perspective where it's like, you know, why not? Like, let's include more teams in this. Let's give more teams something to play for, even though that thing that they're playing for is actually comparatively minor. I think what I liked about Blazers-Grizzlies is, one, it was it was only the ninth-place team that got a chance to play in, and the way they did it last year was you had to finish within a certain distance of eighth place to get that. That, honestly, I think is a great idea. I think that should be what it is going forward. You know, going into every year, if the ninth place team gets within X amount of games, maybe it's one game, maybe it's two of eight at the end of the season, they will get a chance to play their win in the playoffs. I love that. I just don't like the idea that with like two months to go in the season, your team like could be 11th, 12th, and you know, you could lose six out of seven games and you could still look at it and be like, man, it doesn't really matter because it's uh, the bottom of the East. So they get hot in the last two weeks. Like this won't mean anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I still feel like every individual game in the regular season should matter in like a big picture. And this just takes away from that. I, I just don't like, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Cause like, I just don't 
yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, in, in a normal season where, like, do, do we really care, like, who finishes eighth in the Eastern Conference? Like, I think this will just make more people care, if only briefly, who actually finishes eighth. And, like, more people caring, even for a brief amount of time, is probably a good thing for the league in the grand scheme. Oh, it's definitely so. a good thing for the league, especially financially and, and TV. Well, that's why, like, I understand it from that perspective. I do get it. Um, I, ju- I just think it devalues the rest of the regular season. I mean, does it though? Because think about it this way. It's this man. If, if a, more it, teams have a chance to get in. Yeah. Every game leading up to that point is less meaningful. Every, uh, you, losing a game in general doesn't mean as much if you're, if your odds of making at least the play and have increased simply because the NBA is creating more spots for you yeah but this isn't like baseball or football or even hockey where you can get to the finals as a low seed because the game is just a little bit more of a crapshoot and the margins are a little bit thinner like in basketball those kind of upsets don't happen like just getting into the playoffs really doesn't guarantee you much of a chance at all and like yeah eight over one upsets have happened before in the past, but like they're exceedingly rare. And look, if, if a team manages to win both play in games from the 10 seed and get into eight and from there topple a one seed, it'll be one of the craziest things that's ever happened in the NBA. And I don't see how that can be a bad thing. Like, I don't see where the devaluing is you, actually you happening know what would be here. crazier if the 12 seed does it. So why don't we just, why don't we just get to the, t- why don't 24 out of 30 get a chance to make the play? That might be sure, coming man. Back. Yeah. All right. Why not? <laughs> but like, right. I, I obviously, yeah, you have to stop it somewhere, but like, I, I just don't like, I think the road is hard enough where it's like, you're not totally devaluing the regular season. Like the games still matter because you're still putting yourself in a position to either, you know, do something in the playoffs or like, if you don't want really any part of the playoffs, it's like, it, it kind of has a way of roping you back in and making it more difficult for you to like fully tank. And I guess maybe that could result in a situation where, you have teams that really don't want to get into the play-in and are just trying to out-tank each other to get out of the 10 seed, and one of them inevitably winds up there. And that's not a great look, but I just... That's what, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, it, it's, it's also not a great look. I mean, again, I don't think the NBA cares because at the end of the day, if they have more meaningful games late in the season that mean more people tuning in, that's all they care about, and I completely understand that. I just think there are there are ways where this is not a great look. Like I said, I think the the overall value of every regular season game has come down. Um, and again, I'm I'm not anti playing. I just think there should like I like the way they did it last year. I think there should be some sort of limits. I just think spoon feeding sixty seven percent of the league an opportunity to make the playoffs after seventy two to eighty two games. I I think is an overkill. But all right, I've I've wasted enough of our time railing against the top ten uh, making a plan. So. Let's get back on the Raptors. Uh, I mean, if they're healthy, I don't know. Maybe they should be the, considered a favorite to get the spot. But then at the same time, they get a leapfrog at least one team and make up two games in the final 10. They've got a tough road trip coming up. I don't really know what to think of this team anymore. Again, I think if every team had average health for the entire season, I don't think we'd be talking about the Raptors needing to 
fight for the 10th seed just to get in the play-in to get in the playoffs, but this is where they are. I guess some of it also depends on like how much they actually do still want it going down the stretch, right? Like if they're, I don't know, they're two games back still with like six games to go. Are they going to play the Lowry's and the Siakam's and the Van Vliet's, you know, 40 plus minutes as if they are clinging to life and playing for their lives? Or are they just going to shut it down? I think that's the big question mark here. And it will help decide how this play in spot gets resolved. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've just got this murderous road trip that's starting tonight in Denver. And I mean, that'll determine it, right? Like if they can get through that, uh, is it a five game trip or a six game trip? Like if they can get that, get through that by somehow going like three and two, I think then I think it might only four game trip. It's just that it's like a really tough, it's like uh, Denver, Utah, the Clippers and the Lakers. Mm hmm. And it's also like if you look at the Wizards schedule, like the Wizards are going to have so much to say about this just because like they have two games left against the Pacers, one left against the Raptors. And I think their last game of the season is against the Hornets. So how the Wizards perform in those games will have a lot to do with it. And, um, you know, for the Raptors, uh, I don't know how many other teams are playing in that mix, but that game against the Wizards, I guess, could have some serious implications. But again, if they just get woodshedded on this road trip out west then it's not really going to matter um and i think you know the thing with the raptors is maybe they were deliberately tanking like you could say that was the case i think it's more just that they don't care whether they make it or not and so they were prioritizing just like resting guys like lowry and van vliet and siakam and og when they had a chance to do so because why push those guys just to to get the 10 seed? I don't think it was as much about them saying, no, we really, really don't want to get into the play-in and more just about them not prioritizing it and saying like, okay, if we get the, if we get the 10 seed, we get the 10 seed, but like, it's not something we're going to push for. And I think for them, you know, on the one hand, this might be Kyle Lowry's last season as a Raptor. They kept him at the trade deadline. And so from that perspective, it makes sense to just try and go all out and be as good as they can possibly be this year and maybe try and get a playoff spot if they can. And on the other hand, it's okay. Like, where does that really leave us at the end of the day? Like, would we not be better off getting a lottery pick? And maybe, you know, with these flattened lottery odds, making a jump up from like the eighth or ninth best odds into the top five, like just giving ourselves that chance rather than pushing to get a play-in spot that's going to take us out of lottery consideration altogether. Like, I think the fact that they can justify it from both sides is almost kind of a good thing, right? It's like a win-win in a way. And that's why for me, like, I think all that really matters for them the rest of the season is just like the development of the guys who are going to be their core players going forward. And despite the fact that they've lost a bunch of games here down the stretch, I think they're been some really encouraging signs especially from OG Ananobi who is starting to round out his offensive game in a way that I think is super exciting like he is doing stuff off of the dribble uh, and passing on the move in a way that he just wasn't doing even like early this season and that's what we've been waiting to see from him I think for so long and and obviously they played a lot of games without Lowry or Van Vliet in the lineup and that redistributed a lot of on-ball possessions to OG and those possessions were kind of an adventure. He's turning the ball over a lot more than he has in the past and 
Um, he's struggled with that role at times, but if you look at his last 20 games, you know, to me, the big question coming into this season was can OG scale up his usage without compromising his efficiency over his last 20 games? He's at 22% usage and over 61% true shooting. Like that's been awesome. That's big time. And he's doing that while continuing to play all world defense covering all five positions at an elite level. And so I think like stuff like that, that's, that's just what the Raptors have to take and look at and say, you know, next season is going to be different. We're going to be hopefully back in Toronto. Um, I don't know if they'll be playing in front of fans or not, but like they'll at least have a home base that feels like home. And, you know, they can reassess, I guess, the Lowry situation in the off season. Either they'll look to bring him back or they'll look to sign and trade him. But, Obviously, they're going to do what they can to make sure they don't lose them for nothing. And then they can continue to move forward with what I think is like their core three, which is OG, Pascal, and Fred, all of whom have struggled at times this year, but all of whom I think have taken actual meaningful steps forward this year. Um, Siakam, his struggles have been well documented, but honestly, the playmaking jump that he's made this year is significant. And if if he just shot the three ball the way that he shot it last year, I think we'd be talking about his season completely differently than we have been. And and if he'd been a little bit better in the clutch, frankly. Um, but Fred, you know, for most of the season, I had him in all defensive consideration. Uh, I don't know if I still would just because he missed a bunch of time, but like he's been that good defensively and also has really rounded out uh, his playmaking and, and, gotten to the point I think where he can actually operate as a point guard full-time that's where I'm at with the Raptors it's like that's their core moving forward those are the things that are important and if they get the 10 seed I guess that's kind of just gravy and if they don't get it and they get a lottery pick well maybe that's kind of (laughs) just even more gravy um they're sort of in a better spot I think than those other teams that we mentioned like even the Wizards yeah because I think they have a more clearly defined future than those other teams Absolutely. I think the, the Raptors, I think, have the least to lose in this race. I know there are Raptors fans out there that are pro-tank. I'm, I'm not even anti-tank. Like, in a regular year, like, I get it. I do understand that um, given where this team is and given what the standings look like and, and if you're talking about actual contention this year, I fully understand why you would prefer, you know, the chance to land in the top five this year in what could be a really, really special draft. But like my counter to that would be, again, look at what has transpired the last couple months. It's not like this team sold out to try to chase the 10 seed. You know, this team didn't subtract or detract from its future to chase the 10 seed. Um, They didn't bulls it. Okay. They lost a lot of games when they were already 11th and didn't move anywhere in the standings. They rested a lot of guys and played some pretty peculiar lineups and didn't suffer for it at all in the standings. They could lose like nine of their last 10, and honestly, the chances that they would drop much more in the standings are pretty slim. They'd go down, like not exaggeration, they could probably lose eight or nine of 10 and drop maybe one or two spots, maybe, in the overall standings. So I understand people being pro-tank. I don't think Raptors fans that are pro-tank right now like truly grasp 
how inconsequential tanking is at this point, or even has been the last couple months, if you think they have been tanking anyway. So at this point, as you were saying, it's just like, enjoy the games that come, uh, see what they can do. Maybe if they're healthy, they, they do get into the plan. They make a nice little run and they just like scare one of the top seeds, like a Philly or something. And I think that would be fun. And especially because they would be doing it on the backs of a Pascal Siakam resurgence on the backs of OG breaking out on the offensive end on the back of, you know, Fred Van Vliet having this awesome two way season. If Gary Trent comes back on the back of a guy who I think will be part of this team's future plans. And that I still think fans should be very, very excited about that. They come out of this season with, potentially if they can lock him up as an RFA with Malachi Flynn growing, you know, before our eyes, if you watch this guy from game to game, I think you just have to kind of enjoy Raptors games right now. If you're a Raptors fan and, and take it as it comes. And if they end up in the lottery, great. And if they end up making a play and run because of the young talent that is going to be here for their foreseeable future, then you can't really be mad at that. Again, they didn't bulls this situation. They have a clearly defined future. Unlike the wizards, there's just not, there's not a lot to lose here. Yeah, one thing I'm really curious about, just sort of looking ahead, is do they tweak the defensive scheme next year? Because they might have to. <laughs> I mean, they they really just walk that tightrope, and it's burned them pretty badly this season. Like their defense has fallen off a cliff, and you know there are a lot of reasons for that. And and their putrid center play that they've had for most of the year has been part of it. And I think it's been nice to see Kem Birch sort of shore that position up. He's been great for them, but I just, you know, even a couple of years ago, they were playing with fire and they got away with it. A, because they got some like opponent shooting luck, frankly, opponents just shot terribly on threes against them. And the Raptors did have something to do with that, but part of it was luck. And B, like they just had this incredible defensive synergy where everybody was rotating on a string and the communication was tip top because they had Marcus all on the back line. And it was just a special kind of season where everything went right for them at that end of the floor. And now, you know, you see them trying to do the same things. And in certain ways, it's incredibly effective, you know, like the way that they just flood the strong side of the floor and bring those hard double teams like Joel Embiid was on the low post talking about how the Raptors are like the only team that just constantly are able to get the ball out of his hands and make him super uncomfortable and not let him do anything that he wants to do. Last night against the Nets, KD and Kyrie combined for 26 points. But they're getting burned on the back end, like repeatedly. And it's like, yeah, they can slow a star player down. But if you're a role player you're licking your chops going up against the Raptors because there's a good chance you're going to have the game of your life. And sometimes that'll work out in the Raptors favor and sometimes it won't, but I just think they, they might need a little bit of a reimagining of that defensive scheme moving forward. Cause I just don't know that it can work without some of, you know, whatever pixie dust they had working for them in, in 2019, 20. Uh, and obviously, you know, part of that is just having an elite backline defender and communicator like Marc Gasol. And if they don't have somebody like that, I don't know if this can work. Yeah, I think um, the presence of a brilliant defensive mind anchoring it at the back, it's it's funny because like if you think of Marc Gasol and like the way the plotting way he plays the game at this stage of his career, you don't necessarily think of him as like the anchor of this 
very like high wire act defensively, you know, with guys flying around everywhere. But Marcus Gasol's role in that defense was very important to the other four guys doing what they did. And I think we've seen that this year. So yeah, I think unless they have, obviously you're not going to find a Marcus Gasol in terms of defensive IQ and positioning and all that back there, but unless they have a consistent five, like defensive five, who can shore things up back there, who can be a good communicator, who can truly act as an anchor behind those four guys and their high wire act. I just don't think they'll be able to do this defensively and have much better results. Like as you mentioned, a bit of pixie dust in 2019-20, like you need guys to shoot worse than their average if you're going to play that kind of defense. And they got that in 2019-20. And I, you know, it's hard to ask for that many years in a row, despite how much ground Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi cover and even a Chris Boucher or something like that flying out at those guys. You can't expect them to miss all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing is like uh, Seth Part now tweeted this out. Uh, I think, I can't remember if it was during the game against the Knicks or against the Nets, but he was like, the Raptors have too many good individual defenders to be helping as aggressively as they do off yep. the strong side corner. And it's like, yeah, like <laughs> there are a lot of really good individual defenders on this team. And that does make them equipped to play those hyper aggressive schemes because like you said, you know, a guy like Pascal Siakam can cover an insane amount of ground. It's made them really effective at playing zone and zone hybrid schemes in the past. Like they can do a lot of different things with that group, but to take that group with all those incredible individual defenders and just turn it into a team that's putting itself in rotation time after time, after time, game after game, after game feels like a bit of a waste in some ways because like, I don't know, man, like let those guys do their thing. Like let them try their hand in single coverage some of the time, like play things a little bit more straight up. I think they might have some more success doing that. So I'm curious to see if, I mean, the scheme is what it is for this season, but I personally think this hasn't been a great season for Nick Nurse. I still think he's a fantastic coach, but I'm sort of curious to see if they change things up moving forward. All right, are we, are we done? Are we done here? Can I get the fan shout outs or are we, are you going to do it to me? Are you going to do it to me? What? You, well, you, when, when we took the break, you mentioned whether or not we were going to talk about the Pacers. So, I mean, there's, look, it's, it's unfortunate because there just isn't really a whole lot to talk about, but we did sort of mention off the top that they, you know, they're occupying eighth right now. And what are they a game? They're game and a half up on, the Wizards? On the Wizards? Or are they they're a game and a half up or they're two games up? But it's I think they might be two games up. I know they're half game up on the they're half game back of the Hornets. Yeah, yeah. I think they're a game and a half up on the Wizards. Um no, I'll just say quickly, look, all their big men are injured. Uh Miles Turner's out with a toe injury. Sabonis has a back issue. Uh Goga Batadze is out with an ankle injury. Um so they're starting a Jakar Sampson O'Shea Brissett front court. And honestly, those guys have been good. And especially Brissett, you know, who came in initially on a 10-day and has since been signed through the rest of the season and with a couple of non-guaranteed years that could stretch that to being a three-year deal. But, um, you know, we know Brissett from his days with the Raptors organization as a high-energy and high-feel type of player. But he has taken that baseline and, and added, like, a refined scoring touch, and he's shooting threes. Uh, he's blocking shots and has been super active defensively. Um, so respect to him and respect to Jakar Sampson, who's also got a great motor. But um, unfortunately, like if you're trying to keep up in the playoff race, 
and you're already down TJ Warren and Karis Levert is still kind of trying to work his way back into rhythm, uh, replacing Sabonis and Turner with Brissett and Sampson is going to make things tough. Um, so I, it, I don't know, I guess, when they're going to get healthy, if they're going to get healthy, like if we're going to see Turner back this season. But because of that, like the Pacers actually got lucky because uh, they got a soft stretch of games while they were dealing with all these injuries. They got Thunder Pistons magic back to back to back and were able to beat all of them. Um, but then they got hammered by Portland uh, and they've got Brooklyn next. And then they get the Thunder again. And then they have two games against the Wizards next week on Monday and Saturday that loom very large in this play-in race. And it's just unclear how healthy they're going to be for those games. Yeah, I think, like I was saying off the top, I think if one of them or Charlotte slides out of the top 10, it will be Indiana just for reasons that aren't really within their control. Yeah, and it's it's a shame, man, because they started off the season so strong. And I think at full strength, like they're a good team. You know, like I think at full strength, they're better than like the Knicks and the Hawks. I do believe yeah. that. And so it, it just is a real bummer to see their season get completely torpedoed by injuries. But um, I just hopefully, I guess they can come back, come back healthy for next year and make an honest run at it. Yeah, I think they're better than the Knicks at full strength. I don't know if they're better than the Hawks when everyone's healthy, but I mean that. Yeah, that's we got we got to talk Hawks at some point because they've been yeah, super we impressive. Will. We will maybe next week. Until then, uh, I'll get this week's fan shout out in Muhammad Mataki from Toronto goes to St. Thomas Aquinas Secondary School in Brampton. He reached out on Instagram to say he's a huge fan of the show. He's been listening for about a year. He says Pound the Rock gives him a break from school and helped him get through the pandemic. So um, as I've said, anytime someone has sent a note like that in, we are uh, very humble to hear stuff like that. And I think, you know, for us, we're very lucky to have the jobs we have covering basketball for a living. You know, even us just doing the pod and talking ball for an hour here and there gets our minds off things. So if we're able to also help other people do that, definitely uh, honored and humble to be able to do that. So thank you, Muhammad. Uh, hope you enjoy the shout out and a reminder to all of our pound the rock listeners who we appreciate if you're a fan hit us up on social media let us know how long you've been a fan where you're listening from and we will get you a shout out on a future show until one of those future shows for joe wolfon i'm joseph cacharo pound the rock 